Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online and on site, and welcome to sweater number three. <laughs> so, <laughs> I took it easy on you last week. Uh, it, there was some debate last week as to whether or not last week's sweater was ugly or nice. I, I, the, the consensus was it was a nice Christmas sweater. It was very Christmassy, but it was nice. And I, and I chose that intentionally because we had communion, and I thought this might be a bit much <laughs> at the communion table. So I saved it for this week. We're going to make up for it this week. Uh, I've had some comments, some thoughts about this sweater, uh, and if you want to play along at home with the comments, uh, hashtag Mark looks like a highlighter is, uh, is trending right now on Twitter. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways, we also want to welcome you to week three of Advent, this Advent season, the season of anticipation and preparation, where we are anticipating and expecting opportunities to celebrate the arrival of Jesus and the difference that he makes in our lives and in the world around us. And as we think about that word expecting, it's a very appropriate word for the Advent season, but also an appropriate word to go along with the Christmas story. It's very fitting, this word expecting, because if you're familiar with the story, as most of us I'm sure are, Mary and Joseph are expecting their first child. And we talk about that in terms of not just a physical arrival of a child, expecting physically to have a child, but also, and, and parents, you, you know this, and even grandparents know this, there's this expectation of the hopes and the, the dreams and of the plans and sometimes even the fears that go along with anticipating or expecting the arrival of a child. And so this is true for mothers and fathers and grandpas and grandmas. And we're going to talk about the fathers next week. Next week, we're going to talk about Joseph. But today, we're going to focus upon Mary. And really, in the fullest sense of that term expecting, after all, it is the mother who is the one who is expecting in the fullest sense of the term. Because mom is usually the one who learns first that she's expecting, that she is pregnant and has to start dealing with all of those initial thoughts and, and feelings and begins that bond ahead of anybody else. And it's some of the important questions we have to wrestle with, for example, is how am I going to tell people? And who am I going to tell first? It's one of the first questions that comes to mind because you want to share that exciting news with people. When I think back to Nadine and I and, and our children, uh, thankfully Nadine shared that with me first. That, that was <laughs> very kind of her. Uh, and then we, it was a simpler time. And so then we would gather the family together after church or for a meal and we would just sort of make the announcement, we're having a baby. It was a simpler time. That's about all that went into it. Well, that was before social media came along. <laughs> and with social media, there's another advent. There's the advent of the creative announcement that starts to happen. And this started to catch, this creativity kind of caught on like wildfire on how you announce babies. Uh, and I mean wildfire figuratively and literally. Because this year, back on September 5th, there was a news article that tells about the elaborate plan one family had to announce their baby that went disastrously wrong. And what ended up happening is this couple got together a smoke-generated pyrotechnic. They set it off, and it ignited the four-foot-tall grass of the El Dorado Ranch that they were currently visiting in California. And efforts to douse the blaze with water bottles was fruitless, said Captain Bennett Malloy of the Department of Forest and Fire Services. And on September 18th, almost two weeks later, the fire was still burning out of control and consumed 20,000 acres of land in California. 
Unfortunately, this was not the first time that Captain Malloy had to attend to a baby announcement gone wrong that led to a fire of this nature. And when he was asked for further comment on this, he simply said, could we just stop having these stupid parties, please? <laughs> was his answer. Now, I'm not sure what Mary's social media post would have looked like, but it's safe to assume that she had all the natural thoughts, all the natural feelings, and even more than we've experienced in our lives. Because she had a unique experience, and we read about that in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, where we read about an angel, Gabriel, arriving to, appearing to a young girl named Mary, to declare to her this incredible message that had been waited, waited, waited for for centuries, a, a message where the angel Gabriel says to Mary, you have found favor with God, Mary, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, he will be great. He will be the son of the most high. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the descendants of Jacob, and his kingdom will never end. Now, as you can imagine, the shock of such a moment, the, the appearance of an angel, the, uh, the, the announcement of having a son, and then learning that the son's name is to be Jesus, and she knows what the name Jesus means. The name Jesus means God saves. She knows as she pieces these things together that this is the announcement of the long-awaited Messiah to be born of her She's just a humble girl of, a young girl of humble state. What in the world would qualify her for such an honor? So all she could simply ask of Gabriel is, well, how can this be? Which at first might sound like a statement of disbelief, but it's really more of a statement of just lacking understanding. How, how could this be? How could this be? I've, I've, I've never been intimate with person. I, the whole story you're painting for me is, just, is beyond human logic how this is even a possibility. And, and so Gabriel explains to her, he says, this child will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And therefore he will be the son of God. And then Gabriel further reassures Mary by saying, you know what, I have other good news for you too. Your relative, Elizabeth, who is well on in years and has been barren her entire life, Mary, Elizabeth is pregnant as well with a child. And, and the child that Elizabeth will bear is, is John the Baptist, who we've been talking about the last few weeks. And that's kind of where he fits into the Christmas story and into the life of Jesus. But then Gabriel concludes this message to Mary by saying these words. By saying, Mary, no word from God will ever fail. It's a call to trust in God. That all of God's promises of the past, whatever the, the present situation may look like, Mary, no word from God will ever fail. Call to trust in God, to have faith in God. To which Mary incredibly replies, I am the Lord's servant. May it be fulfilled in me. And with this immaculate conception of her child and the, the news of Elizabeth, her, her relative, having a child, and Mary eagerly wants to visit. And so as soon as Gabriel leaves, she packs her things up and she goes on this, on this journey to go and congratulate Elizabeth. But also, as you can imagine, this young girl is probably kind of scared and, and looking for some, some support, some, some help in the midst of this moment that she has been thrust into. And on the journey to go see Elizabeth, you have to imagine that, that, that she's trying to think, how am I going to explain all this? And on the way, she probably rehearsed 20 different versions of what to say and when to say it and, and how to go about it. But nothing just seems appropriate to the situation in which she finds herself. Like, what, what do I say? Is, what's Elizabeth going to think? Is, is she going to believe me or is she going to think I'm lying? Is she going to accept me or is she going to reject me like others have already started doing? Maybe, 
Maybe I should just stay quiet for a while and see how it plays out. But when she arrives at Elizabeth's house, (laughs) all of these questions are immediately answered for her. Because she knocks on the door and Elizabeth answers and, and Mary says, congratulations. And we read in the Bible that it says, upon hearing that greeting, That Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and the child in her womb leapt with joy. And in verse 42 of Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth says to Mary, Mary, blessed are you amongst all women. And blessed is the child that you will bear. So she finds herself in this moment. The culmination of of Gabriel's message and the the conception of the Christ child and and, and Elizabeth's joyous affirmation of all of this that's taking place. Mary can no longer contain herself, her joy and her excitement. And so she makes her announcement. And she makes her announcement and she expresses her thoughts and feelings that have been pent up for far too long in a passage of scripture referred to as the Magnificent. It's magnificent means Latin for glorifies. Because in this response, Mary glorifies who God is, what he has done, and what he will do for her and for the world through the son that she will bear. And I want to invite you to join me in looking at the magnificent today. It's found in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And if you want to use one of your pew Bibles, you can find it on page 831 there. And as you turn to that, and we're going to read through it, and we're going to focus upon that for the rest of our time today. We're going to look at this poem and this sense of thanksgiving that explodes from the depth of Mary's soul. And as you're flipping there, I just want to ask you a question. Can you think of a time in your life, a moment, a season, an event in your life when you have been so filled with joy that you're about to burst. It just demanded expression. I hope you have, because those are awesome moments to encounter. One that comes to mind for me, in fact, is, is actually my wedding day. When, when like many grooms, you, you kind of enter the room first and stand on the platform, and then you wait for, for, the, for the procession and the music to play, and then it happened. The doors opened, and there was Nadine. My first thought was, she showed up. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Who, who would have thought? But, but then my next thought was, she's so beautiful. And as she walks down and, and took her spot beside me, the pastor was talking about something. I don't know. I couldn't think what he was talking about. I was just looking at her. And then it came time for the vows. And then the waterworks just turned on. And I was this blubbering mess of tears and promises. as she, as she just like cried through the whole thing. Any other, any other sissy grooms like me? Just kind of cried through? No? Just going to leave me hanging up here? I'm the one. I'm the one. All right. That's fine. That's okay. But this moment of this incredible expression, these tears that came during this moment, it was, it was involuntary. It was just this expression of joy and happiness. Whatever example you can think of, do you kind of catch the idea? Do you kind of get the sense of the scene that's taking place in that moment? You see, Mary knew that she had received this incredible gift from God to her, and a gift really that was for the whole world. And, and, and this gift, that this present, brought her hope. And then from Elizabeth's reaction, she can see that her present hope was present for others as well. And so Mary is not just sharing her feelings in this beautiful poem of thanksgiving. This is actually an act of worship that we read about in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. 
And as we read through this beautiful act of worship, I'll help you kind of process it a bit because there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of words and depth and history in here, but it breaks down into four themes. Four themes that I'll briefly summarize as we read through it. And so the first one is this. Mary first praises God for what he has done in her life. And she humbly declares this beginning in verse 46. And, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of, his, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. From her innermost being, she's overwhelmed with the blessed state of this moment that she finds herself in. She's mindful also of the fact that she is of her own personal depravity, that, uh, that there's nothing in her that makes her worthy of receiving this blessing. That it is simply by God's grace alone that she carries her own Savior and the Savior of the world. And she is humbled by this moment. She's humbled by the goodness and the greatness of God in her life. And then arriving at this place, she continues in verse 49, where she says, For the mighty one has done these things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She calls him the mighty one, whose great power is being exercised in her life in this moment. She, she refers to him in his, as holy, his, his holiness, meaning that there is nothing and no one that compares to him. That he is perfect in nature, in character, in purity, and set apart from all creation. She speaks of his mercy, which we can understand to be a reference to his compassion and the forgiveness that he extends to those, as she says, to those who fear him. Those who fear him in the past, in the present, and in the future. Those who fear him. Those who feel a sense of awe and reverence when they contemplate him, when they consider him, when they experience him. Those who acknowledge his greatness in the midst of the situation. And then thirdly, Mary anticipates what God will do, God's future transforming work in the world, as she continues in verse 51, where it says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. She tells of God scattering the proud those who honor themselves, those who trust in themselves rather than trusting in God, that, that, that God scatters those ones. She, she tells of earthly rulers who are brought low because nobody is able to stand in the presence of the Lord. But also, she speaks of a God who honors those who are humble, a God who honors those who are poor in spirit and acknowledge not just his greatness, but their need of his greatness in their own lives. And then she finishes, finally ending by exalting God's past faithfulness for his people right up to the moment of her announcement. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. In that passage, you see throughout the Old Testament, and we, we were talking about this, about Moses earlier this year, this long, difficult history between God and the nation of Israel. But God never gave up on them. God had made a vow as well, and he had never broken it. And for Mary, she knew the promises of God. She, she knew the promises that God had made from the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi about the Savior. She was aware of these things, and, and as she contemplates them, she likely recalls the words that Gabriel said to her just a short time ago. Mary, 
no word from God will ever fail. You see, Mary's song is not just a look back in time. It also points forward in time. It points forward with truths and, 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 and reflections upon God that we ourselves also can receive as a blessing, as a promise, and, and points to our redemption as well. Because when we look at the story, we come to understand that as God was present with Israel, as God was present with Mary, so too Jesus is the present, who is present with us. Jesus is the present who is present with us. And in this classic passage, it's, it, you maybe you've read it before and you found it's, it's hard to follow at times, that, uh, that, that, that it, it's tough to understand what's happening. Hopefully this brief walkthrough that I just gave you gave some sense of understanding of what Mary is processing as she responds in her announcement. And So I want to take just a few minutes that we have left here today to draw our attention to three lessons that we can glean from Mary's song. To three lessons that can help us to experience this present from God who is present with you this Christmas. And the first lesson is this. Is that in Mary's response, we observe that thankfulness is an important step beyond joy. Thankfulness is an important step beyond joy. Remember I asked you a moment ago to think about that moment of that time of great experience and, and just overwhelming time of excitement and exhilaration. When we have those, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment, to be so caught up in the joy and the good times of that situation. And in these times, our, our focus can narrow. It can narrow to simply see the good fortune that we have, to, to bask in the joy of the moment. You know, that's going to happen later today for a group of people. This afternoon is the Grey Cup. The Blue Bombers versus the Tie Cats. Are there any Blue Bombers fans? We got a couple. Who's cheering for the Tie Cats? Who doesn't care? Everybody doesn't care. Yeah, Evans is not in it. So what does it matter, right? I'm in the I don't care category. But if you watch the game, What's going to happen? At the end of the game, you are going to see a team of grown men involuntarily rush the field, running and cheering and crying and hooting and hollering and celebrating completely involuntarily. This moment of excitement and exhilaration. And on one hand, good for them. They've worked hard. And some of them have never won before and some of them will never win again. And others, they need to really enjoy this moment because things could all of a sudden change tomorrow. They, they could be traded. They, they could be cut from the team. They, they could enter into retirement. So it's important to enjoy these moments of celebration. Absolutely. But I always watch the interviews at the end. In the post game, because I, I like it. And I don't find it to be cliche or, or anything. I, I like it when the interviews begin with a heartfelt thank you to God. In the midst of all of that going on. Because it's so easy, even, even for people of faith, it's so easy to get caught up in the excitement of the moment that we just focus upon that. And somebody puts a camera in your face and how you feel, and you're like, I'm going to Disneyland, I'm taking my team with me. And the whole thing. But then some people, they're moved in that moment to go, I just have to thank God for this opportunity, for this talent, for this gift, for this empowering that I have. I, I like those. I like those because in that moment, they're thinking of a higher purpose. 
They're thinking of something that is reminiscent of the words of James 1.17, where it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change with shifting shadows. You see, there's a step beyond joy that remembers to extend thankfulness towards the true source of that joy. And the joy that Mary is demonstrating in this wholehearted expression towards God, who is the source of her joy. And there's incredible power in, in, in living in this fashion and having this mindset is very powerful for two reasons. Number one, because when things go good, and I hope and pray that things do go good for us on a regular basis, I, I hope and pray we do have victories and that we have moments of celebration, but, uh, but the power of this principle is that when we experience those good times amidst the celebration, it keeps us from praising ourselves. Remember what Mary said? She says, God will scatter the proud but he will lift up the humble. It keeps us from focusing upon the moment and ourselves too much in the midst of that. It helps us to keep our eyes upon Jesus. But the power of this principle is also that it helps us to define joy beyond good events. It actually gives a definition of joy and it opens up the possibility that joy can exist apart from good events as well, which is hard to understand. But if our happiness is simply based upon happenstance, then it's controlled by what happens in our lives. But scriptural joy can transcend what happens in our lives. That means we can experience joy even when we experience tough times. And James talks about this earlier in James chapter 1, where, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kinds. And, and I can take the time to unpack all that, but I'll just give you the punchline of what he's talking about there. He's basically saying in this passage, we are not required to be happy about hard times. It's okay in the midst of difficult times to say, this is terrible. I'm struggling. He's not saying stick your head in the sand and ignore that. He's, no, it's fine to say this is terrible. But in the midst of the hardship, He's trying to draw our attention to understand that in the midst of the hardship, we can see those moments as deposits into the checkbook of life. And as we make those deposits in the middle of trials, as we make those deposits in the middle of strife, it builds interest. And you know what interest does? It grows and grows the investment. And down the road, it grows and grows your strength in character. It grows your strength in faith. It grows your strength in faith of the God who goes with you through those moments. It doesn't make the situation okay, but it draws our attention, allows us to draw our attention to the God who goes through it with us and strengthens us in the midst of it and on the other side of it. Does that make sense? It's, not, it's okay to say that things are not okay. And we can see God's work in the midst of those things. We can still have joy in the midst of those difficult situations. And when we can see God's work in there, we learn our second lesson that we can also find in Mary's poem is that God has proven himself worthy. He's worthy to go through those moments with us. He's worthy of our worship in all seasons of life that we go through. What do we mean by worthy? Well, this word worthy means that, is that, that his innate qualities, that his innate attributes merit our recognition. Can we all agree that that's true of God, that, that God's divine qualities and attributes are worthy of our recognition? Yes, I, and we have to say that. Like, we don't even have, a, there's no option. And, and the reason there's no option is because God, by definition, must be worthy of these attributes. If you, if you don't see divine attributes in God, 
you have to question your definition of God, and you have to question whether or not he is worthy of being a God. But the God that we find in the Bible, the God of, of Scripture, is worthy of our worship because of his divine attributes. But let's take that one step further. He, conta- he has these divine attributes, but if he is only a God of being in this nature, that means that he could have all those attributes and be held at a distance. He could have all those glorious divine attributes and be kind of aloof from the rest of us in our world and be unknown to us. But he's not just a God of being. We also have a God of doing. And that means that we can experience and we can confirm his worthiness in our lives. You see, God is worthy of our worship because of his greatness that we can experience. And in the psalmist talk about this all the time, and and there's so many psalms I could have picked to reflect upon, but there's just one, in Psalm 145, so beautifully touches on these aspects of the divine attributes of God that can be experienced in the world, leading to an act of praise. And and you can read all of Psalm 145 in your own after service, but just to look at, at three verses from here, we read this. It says, great is the Lord and most worthy of our praise. His greatness no one can fathom. From one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate upon your wonderful works. We see this mingling here of God's worthiness to be praised because of his divine attributes that he has, but also demonstrates and can be experienced in his people who then return back to offering praise and worship to him. See, Mary believed in a God of being and a God of doing. And in her own poem, she calls out these attributes that she experienced. God, you are powerful. You're the mighty one. God, you are holy. God, you are merciful. And as she does so, she does so through through speaking of general examples and reflecting upon her own experience of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever paused and just asked the question of yourself, where have I experienced God's magnificent attributes? Where have I experienced God's power in my life? Where where have I experienced his mercy? Where have I experienced his faithfulness to me? Where have I experienced that no word from God ever fails? And, And you may do that when you're out in the world and you look at creation and you think, God, by your majestic power, you made this possible. You may do it at the birth of a child or a grandchild as you look at the miracle of life and return glory to God who is worthy. You might do it when, when you walk with somebody, you look back upon your own life in that moment of, of, of finding new life in Christ for the first time and you see the changed heart that happens in a person that only God can make possible. You, you, may, you may ask this question and find yourself reflecting upon times when God provided in ways that seemed impossible And he miraculously made a way where there seemed to be no way. In times when you experience peace amidst the storm, when when, when you just felt his love in the midst of sadness and sorrow, where have you experienced God's incredible attributes? Because God is not just a God of being, he is also a God of doing. And he does these things in our lives, in the lives of the people around him. And to answer this question in your own life, in your own story, of how the God of heaven... The God of heaven intimately cares and knows you and knows me. will leave you humbled. And that's important. 
Because we cannot truly worship God without humility. As long as we think so much of ourselves, we will not think nearly enough of him. But we cannot truly worship without humility, acknowledging his worthiness of our praise. And as we begin to have eyes to see, to see his worthiness, how he is worthy of our praise, we then also come to learn our third lesson, is that God is faithful, that no word from God ever fails. Mary speaks of this Old Testament covenant that was established with Abraham and the nation of Israel. And as she reflects upon this, and as as we know from, from past services and probably from your own reading at times, that God had this enduring love for his nation. Even during the difficult times, he had this enduring love that I think only a parent can truly understand. Because it's almost like God at certain moments in the story says words that probably all of us parents have, have said. I will always love you. But how do you finish it? But I don't like you very much right now. <laughs> I will always love you, but I do not like you very much right now. I think most parents, if not all parents, have said something similar to that. I remember one time I, I kind of said that to Joshua. <laughs> we, we, surprise, right? We, uh, we had just bought this beautiful new kitchen table. Uh, the beautiful, expensive kitchen table that was work for our family it had this big leaf in it so we could expand it. So when the whole family came over, we could all sit around the table. And we didn't need it all the time, so we took the leaf out and put it in storage like people typically do so we could use the table at its regular size, and we would just grab the leaf when we needed it. We had the table in the house maybe two or three days, and Joshua discovered the leaf. And his mind looked at it and said, that would make a great skateboard ramp. And he went and used it as a skateboard ramp out in the driveway. And I remember seeing this, and I thought, Joshua, I will always love you, but I do not like you very much right now. (laughs) Scripture shows us that God has this steadfast commitment to his people, that he never stopped loving them, that he never gave up on them, he never lost sight of them. And sometimes they lost sight of him. Sometimes they seemed to give up on him, but he never gave up on them. He never stopped loving them. He never left them. And I saw this principle beautifully illustrated in a story that I heard this week about a a man named Bill Frey who wrote a book called Dance of Hope. And Bill is a a teacher and a mentor at a a special school, and he had one student uh, named John who was blind. And he asked John, how did it happen? Were Were you born blind or was there an event? And as John told his story... He told of a tragic event that happened in his life that led to the loss of his sight. But, but as he told the story, John also said, you know, I didn't, I didn't just lose my sight. In the midst of it, I also lost all hope. And I became bitter, and I became angry. In particular, I became bitter and angry with God because he let it happen. And I figured I have no future left. And I'm not going to therefore lift a finger to help myself at all. Other people can just serve me and help me. I'm not going to do anything. Just bitterness and anger consumed him. So he locked himself in his bedroom, only emerging for meals. But then Bill asked him, because he said, well, that doesn't seem to be the person I see before me today. Something is different. Something must have changed in your story. What happened that took you from your bedroom of bitterness to, to the man I see before me now? And he says, well, what happened is this. My dad got tired of my pity party, and he walked into my bedroom, 
And he said, son, winter's coming. The storm windows need to go up. The materials are in the garage. Get it done. And he closed the door and he left. And so John talks about thinking, how in the world am I going to put these storm windows up? How am I going to go out there? I can't see. I can't do this. I can't find them. But something propelled him to get up and go. And he found the materials in the garage. And, and he found the ladder. And it took him a long time to do it. But, but he, you know, kind of cursed under his breath the whole way. He, he set up the ladder. And he, he got the windows. And he put the storm windows in place. And then he got them installed. And he said at the end of that, two things were achieved. Number one, the storm windows got installed. <laughs> but secondly, he stopped feeling sorry for himself because he started to feel like maybe I do have a sense of worth. He said, but that wasn't all. He said, through the tears that started to fill his sightless eyes, he said, I found out years later that the whole time I was doing that job, my dad was never more than four feet away from me. When I walked out to the garage, he was right behind me. When I got the ladder, he was right beside me. When I went up the ladder, he stood on the bottom rung of the ladder. If I had fallen, I couldn't see him, but my father was there to catch me the whole time. And that's a human father. And we have a heavenly father who entered into our world to reveal his love for us, to be present for us. And this is essentially what the angel was talking about when, when they proclaimed to the shepherds on that first Christmas, I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Today in this land of darkness, today in this place of people who are blinded by their sin, a Savior has been born to you. He is with you. He is the present who is present. He is Christ Jesus, the Lord. You see, in Jesus Christ, God came near. He came near to step into our world to be with us in all the seasons that we go through. He came to be with us in the midst when we were still blinded by our own sin. And see, Jesus' birth was one step of many steps that he took that led him to the cross where he ultimately gave his life to pay the price for the sin that, 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 that kept us blinded to God's love, that kept us separated from God, that he paid the price for our sin that set us free so that we could see and receive the present in our lives. We could have him with us in every season that we go through and that we could help others to see him in their lives too. You see, by that sacrifice, Jesus became our present who is always present. But we have to choose to receive it present. See, this present of hope and new life that is extended to all people has been purchased for all. It is wrapped and offered and extended to all. But like any gift, we do not truly own it until we choose to receive it as our own. And when we do that, in John 1.12, it says, To all who received that gift... To all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, watched over by their heavenly father who is present. God with us, Emmanuel. And you can receive that gift today. Whether you're here or watching online, if that is not something you've done in the past, you can do that now. And you can join the people last week who accepted Christ into their lives and said yes to Jesus by simply saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for stepping into my world. 
Thank you for paying the price for my sins so that I could see. I could see your love. I could see your forgiveness. I could see your presence in my life. As you gave your life for me, I now give you mine. If you need to pray that or if you prayed that, let us know, either by clicking online or coming to talk with me after the service. If, if you have wandered from Christ and need to recommit yourself to, to getting on track with him again, come and speak with us following the service. We want to know, we want to journey with you in these ways. But we also want to leave us all with a few questions to consider as we close our service here today. He says, reflect upon these three lessons that we can glean from Mary's story. The first question I want to ask you to consider is this. Are you overdue in thanking God for a blessing in your life? Are you overdue in thanking God for a blessing in your life? We're a very blessed people. Even during tough times, there's so much for us to celebrate and to appreciate in our lives. And remember, thankfulness is an important step beyond joy. And as we've talked and learned about God's great power and holiness and mercy, how he is a God of being and a God of doing, I ask you this question as well to reflect upon. Have you, where have you experienced God's greatness in the past that gives you hope in the present? And as you see him, I pray that you will humbly turn your hearts to praise him because he is worthy. And then finally, God is faithful. No word, no promise from him will ever fail. And as the angel proclaimed on that first Christmas morning, he is the good news for all. A Savior is born. And so I leave you with this third question. How, this Christmas, how can the promise that Jesus is your present who is present bring you hope? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Christ. That you, Lord, stepped into our world that you saw fit to come to a humble servant, Mary, whose incredible act of faith is a testimony, an example for us to contemplate and consider. We thank you for her inspired words as she draws our attention to the fact, Lord, that you are worthy of being the Lord of our lives, that you are worthy of being praised, you are worthy of being honored. And as we see you in our midst, it is a gift an incredible gift that brings us hope, that can bring us peace, that can help us to experience the hope, peace, love, and joy of this season. Lord, for those who have wandered from you and need to have a fresh experience of that, I pray, Lord, that they, would, that they would come back to you in this moment. Lord, for those who you've been pursuing who have not yet stepped across that line to say thank you, Jesus, I pray that they would do so in this moment. For those of us who have done that, Lord, but have withheld our thanks to you. I pray that you would draw those moments to our attention, that in all things, in all ways, in all circumstances, we would just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.